0: I remember when my life was unsettled, it seemed as if there were no rhyme or reason. Day after day, night after night, my heart would continue beating. But what for? What purpose? No explanation. How long would I be waiting? But then, (laughs) then it all changed and all of a sudden the peace just washed over me. I encountered one like no other. He is the Lord of lords He is the king of kings And he is the prince of peace Peace (laughs) What a need What a gift And what a promise This changed everything Because you see this prince of peace He calls me his child And now I belong in his family he even calls me his masterpiece, like the Mona Lisa or the Sistine Chapel. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He tells me that he knows the plans he has for me, plans for good and not for disaster, but to give me a future and a hope. Now here's the pivot point. I found peace, <laughs> and it changed everything. And now I have a fire burning within that I can't contain, and do you know what? I don't want to. I long for this world to experience this peace that passes all understanding. When God's people come together, nothing can stop us. We are agents of hope. We are agents of peace. One life at a time, let's band together as a church. You see, we can't hold this peace in when we are called to be peace out.
1: I can't really explain what got into me a few years ago, but for some reason I decided I wanted to buy a motorcycle. And so I started kind of thinking about it and researching it and after a long and protracted negotiation with my bride Julie. I went out and bought a motorcycle, and, and I didn't buy a bike because I wanted to join a gang or wanted to be cool or go fast. I, I just, I enjoy vehicles. I, I enjoy riding down the road, and and it was just, it was so, so much fun, and if you'll notice, I said it was, because not too long ago, I, I, I sold the bike. I'd had a lot of fun on it. I decided I hadn't. I hadn't had an accident or anything. I had a very, very good friend who did have a really, really horrific accident going five miles an hour where he had made absolutely no mistakes whatsoever. And I just decided it was time to get out while the getting was good. But before I sold the motorcycle, when I first started to ride, I had to go get the little motorcycle classification on my driver's license to be a legal motorcycle rider and in order to get that I had to go take the state approved motorcycle safety course now I will tell you that there were there were some things that I did learn over the course of these 2 days but for the most part, that's two days of my life I will never get back. It, it was incredibly tedious. It was incredibly boring. There, were, there was classroom study. Then they would take you out onto a closed course at the old airport to make sure that you could at least somewhat maneuver a motorcycle before you took it out on the road in open traffic. But there was a principle that I found particularly fascinating that they taught during the motorcycle safety course. And the principle was this, they would teach us how to avoid debris in the roadway, how to avoid roadkill, because the things that you run over in your car at 60 miles an hour and look in the rearview mirror and think, hmm, what was that? Those things will kill you on a motorcycle at 60 miles an hour, so you better know how to avoid them. And the principle that they taught to avoid these things in the roadway was this, where your eyes go, the bike will follow. Where your eyes go, the bike will follow. And I thought, okay, that's really interesting. But when I actually did get out on the open road, I discovered just how incredibly true this motorcycle mantra really is. And even when it wasn't just about avoiding debris or roadkill, even when I was changing lanes on my motorcycle and I was trying to avoid the little dots in the middle of the highway, and if if I was looking at that dot and I was going, I'm not going to hit it, I'm not going to hit it, sure enough, both of my wheels, boom, would go over the little dot in the road. But if I focused on the space between the dots, it was amazing. Without fail, my first front tire would glide seamlessly through that little opening. The rear tire would follow, and I would just continue to cruise on down the road, pastor of anarchy, just making my way. It was fascinating to me how... That motorcycle mantra crystallized for me an absolutely immutable law of life. The law is that where our eyes go, our lives will follow. Where our eyes, where our attention, where our hearts go, our lives follow. Last weekend we kicked off this series, Peace Out. And we discovered the reality that God has created us. That Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again so that we could experience as well as express to other people the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The peace that he promises will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And today... We're going to start at the very, very beginning of how that becomes a reality. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look with me in the New Testament in John chapter 12. Now, as you're looking up John chapter 12, whether it's maybe on your phone or in an actual old school Bible, whatever it might be, John chapter 12, Jesus is teaching again his disciples. Now, the word disciple, it's important to remember what a disciple is. A disciple is is a follower a disciple is a student but it's not just an academic student it is a student of life one who follows a rabbi and Jesus was the ultimate rabbi as a matter of fact early in his ministry that's how he was referred to as rabbi one who taught as one with authority and in John chapter 12 he's teaching his disciples and he's preparing them not intellectually But he's preparing them emotionally. He's preparing them personally and relationally for what is about to happen. Because in John chapter 12, his earthly ministry is drawing to a close. Just as you and I are approaching Easter in this season that we refer to sometimes as Lent, this was the final approach to the first Easter. And Jesus is beginning to prepare their hearts and to say, hey, listen. This is, this is not going to continue the way that it has been. There will be changes coming on. And in John chapter 12, Jesus teaches them something about the physical reality He is about to experience. But in that physical reality is a spiritual law, is a spiritual truth. That is there for the taking for anyone 2,000 years later who would own it and appropriate it and, and spiritually metabolize it. Here's what Jesus said in John 12, 32. He said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said, when I am lifted up from the earth, specifically when I am hung on that Roman cross, That will be a worldwide, universal call to myself. People will see in that act something that they will be drawn to. They'll never be able to ignore it. They'll never be able to to put it aside. They'll have to deal with the fact that I went to the cross. And, And it's in that reality that there is an amazing promise Of peace. And and it's this. That when Jesus Christ went to the cross. In that moment of ultimate weakness. In that moment of ultimate shame. In that moment of ultimate pain. He perfectly fulfilled his calling from the Father. He perfectly personified the unchanging perfect love of God because you see Jesus went to the cross solely because of love. That's the only reason he did it to, to express the love of God for humanity. Jesus was one of us but but there was a difference between Jesus and you and me. Jesus yes was human and he was God. He was divine and human at the same time. And so when he went to the cross, he did so not having to do it. The only way you and I'd get on a cross is if we had to do it, It is if somebody tied us down and carried us up the hill and put us on the cross. If we could ever get away from that, we would get away from that. Jesus went to the cross willingly. He did it sacrificially because of love. Because of love. You see, Jesus knew that when he went to the cross and became my sin and your sin, he knew that he would experience the penalty of our sin. The ultimate penalty being separation from God the Father. That he would be alienated from a righteous holy God the father but he did it because of his love for us when you love somebody you 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 show it you you do things for them particularly when the relationship has become estranged particularly when the relationship there's distance there now this time of year Today's weather notwithstanding, this is spring break season, isn't it? A lot of people are traveling. College students are out on the mission field. There, there's a lot of things. What? They are. There, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of distractions in the world today. But for Julie and me, spring break means that our kids come home. That, that they, they, they come from South Carolina where they're in college they come back to the house. Emily was here this past week. We've got a week to recover, and then Joseph comes the following week. But we get really, really fired up when they come home. It's like, it's like old times in our house. You know, Emily, Emily sleeps till noon, wakes up, likes to eat breakfast about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then it's time to Go. Julie and I are going, you got to be kidding me. We're fixing to go to bed. We're empty nesters these days. But because we, we love Emily and Joseph, and even more to the point, because we like them, here's what we do. We actually, and I'm, I don't tell you this story to brag, but I'm just telling you this is what we did. Julie and I, because we're, we're, we love them so much, we actually paid for their plane tickets to come home. We did. We we didn't make them pay for themselves. We we said, you know what? We'll pick that up. Y'all just come on home. I I know. Like I said, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you. Now, the fact of the matter is, if we didn't pay for their plane ticket to come home, they wouldn't come home. (laughs) They're, they're, They're good kids, and they study hard. They don't have two nickels to rub together in college, much less to pay for a flight from the East Coast back to Austin, the center of the known universe. It's not gonna happen. We pay what they can't so that we can be together again. This is Easter. God paid what we can't in order for us to be together again. And Jesus said if... if, When I am lifted up, then I will draw people to me. We will be reunited in that act of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And because of that, the core response has to be worship. The core response is to come to God and worship him, to lift him up. Worship is the absolute key to peace. Worship is the key to peace. To remember what Jesus did on the cross and then to respond to what he did on the cross is the key to experiencing the peace of God that passes all understanding. Before we can ever share it with somebody else, we've got to experience it ourselves. And I want to just mention to you three triggers for worship. Three triggers for worship because worship is one of those things that if you've been around church at all, you've heard the word, but but it's really important that it's a part of our spiritual muscle memory, that it's a part of our faith life and journey with God that worship is a part of who we are. The first I think the first trigger for worship is awareness. It is just to be aware of what God has done for us. To be aware of what Jesus did when he was lifted up on the cross. Psalm 98.1 says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy holy arm have worked salvation for him. God worked salvation. God commissioned Jesus to that cross. God's power raised Christ from the dead because you and I could not pay the price to be reunited with God. We, we couldn't do enough good things to get to God, so God got to us. And when you come into that kind of an awareness The first thing you've got to do is worship God. You're just kind of like, whoa, look at what he did for me. And and how desperately I needed that done for me. Because I couldn't do it for myself. There's this this awareness of what God has done. I, I think a lot of times our worship is hindered by familiarity. Our, our worship can be hindered by familiarity that, that we get so used to the idea maybe of going to church or the fact that we maybe have been a follower of Christ for years and years, decades and decades, and we lose that freshness and the awareness of salvation. We man, if you wake up every morning, morning by morning, new mercies I see new evidence of God's grace, I take the time to consider and I, I roll around in that awareness. That's, that's going to trigger worship. The second trigger for worship is awe. Just a, a sense of wonder. Wow. Awe. Awe is a lost art in our world today. And I think especially for those of us who call Austin home, You know, I think one of the great things about living in this town is also one of the great challenges. This is a cool town. It's it's a cool place. Matter of fact, tell your neighbor right now with spring break passion and enthusiasm, you're cool. Some of you meant that. But but when it comes to when it comes to an awareness of who God is and what He's done, we we really ought to check our cool at the door. There, there needs to be a sense of awe and wonder. When I when I think of awe, I think about little kids on Christmas morning. You know, when kids come toddling into the 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 living room where the Christmas tree is and 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 they see the stuff that santa has left and maybe maybe it's a bicycle oh there's just this sense of awe and wonder i think awe is at the heart of why jesus said that his followers should have the faith of a child that 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 they ought to they ought to always hold on to and maintain that sense of that sense of awe and and wonder and when you remember how awesome God is, you worship, you, you tell him, you acknowledge it, you confess it personally. So, so there's, there's this, this sense of awe, there's the awareness. But then the third trigger I want to just mention to you briefly is appreciation. Appreciation. Just, just being grateful for everything God's given us. And that's one of the great things about when we gather together on the weekends, this, this thing called corporate worship. Corporate doesn't mean business. Corporate means the body. It, it means collective. It means community. It means coming together. Collective worship. When, when we let that worship fly, we, we let it sing and there's this, this sense of appreciation of all that God has done of what we get to be a part of. I, I love scrolling through Instagram on Sunday morning and looking at what God is doing in different churches across the city, across our nation, and around the world. I follow a lot of different churches and a lot of different pastors, and they've got different worship styles, they've got different teaching styles, they've got different personalities, they've got different buildings, different facilities, some own, some rent, but it's all the body of Christ, and to get to be a part of that fills me with a sense of appreciation and and and. and A sense that that God's doing something that we could never do. And so we're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond by thanking him for everything that he's done. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. and, And like you mean it, like you're proud to be here at 9.30 on Time Change Sunday. Tell your neighbor, put your worship hat on. Put on your worship hat. How many of y'all have been to a wedding in the last, I don't know, five years? Let me just see a show of hands if you have attended a wedding. Okay, now, you may not remember, but you might. Of those who went to a wedding in the last five years, how many in those weddings ha- have heard a passage read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Let me just see a show of hands. You know the chapter. Love is the love chapter. Love is kind, love is patient, love is I don't mean blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's very. <laughs> Here's my problem. My problem, not yours. My problem is as a pastor, everybody that I marry wants me to read something from 1 Corinthians 13. And I get it. And it is absolutely the inspired word of God. I'm looking for a fresh angle. I'm looking for, I'm looking for some new life in a wedding. Now if you use 1 Corinthians 13, I think that's awesome. Do not send me an email. I got bigger problems. But it's fascinating to me that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this this beautiful essay on love is packed right in the middle of the apostle Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth about worship, about what it ought to look like when the church comes together because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago the church in corinth had some issues and there there was a lot of stuff going on there there was there was a lot of chaos in their worship services early on but in first corinthians 14 the apostle paul amidst all of these instructions amidst all of this teaching says something so fascinating about worship look at what he says first corinthians 14 verses 33 and 40. He says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. But everything, say everything, everything Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. What we're going to do over the next few minutes, we've only got about an hour and a half left in this service, but I want to just tell you, I'm just teased, I'd just like to see if you're paying attention. We're going to talk about how the Bible says to worship and how we play that out. What does that look like for us as a congregation? Because it's incredibly vague throughout Scripture how individual churches ought to worship. We just know we ought to worship. So, I think it's important for us to have a theology of worship, to understand what it's really and truly all about, but also to know how we play that out and what that looks like. So I want you to write down on your notes page, just H-A-T, H-A-T, and we're going to just use that as our worship hat from now on as a church family. I was just kidding when we said it, just an hour and a half. People are leaving in droves. Um, I'm just teasing. But... First of all, we're, we're going to make it interactive. Give me an H. H. Worship ought to be a habit. It ought to be a habit. It's not something that we show up to unless we get a better offer. It, it ought to be a habit, personally and collectively. It, it ought to be a habit. Look at what Psalm chapter, five, Psalm chapter 59 says. But as for me. This is, this is just me talking. I will sing about your power. I will worship. Each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. Each morning, I will sing with joy. Now, it's very important that we understand this is a principle and not a prescription. You you don't have to start singing in your house every morning. You can. I would encourage you to let your family know before you start. But every day, worship ought to be a habit. It it ought to be something that we begin our day with and we we start before our feet hit the floor. Worshiping God. Here's why worship and peace are so closely connected. Worship is the first step towards sanity. Sanity worship is the first step towards sanity because it is the personal acknowledgement of the reality of god's authority sovereignty and supremacy it's acknowledging that he is sovereign that he is supreme and that he is the ultimate authority not just over the universe and the world but over my life and that ought to be a habit that that ought to be something where we say god i surrender this day to you because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I worship you for that. I celebrate, God, that you're God and I'm not. Because here's the deal. None of us needs that kind of pressure in our lives. So it it needs to be a habit. A, give me an A. A. Anticipation. We ought to worship with anticipation. I mean, expecting God to show up. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Psalm 5, 2. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. I wait expectantly. You know what my problem has been too many times? I view prayer as something that I do for God. Instead of what God does in me and through me. We ought to go to God with anticipation. God, you hear my voice. You're listening, and I will wait for your answer expectantly. I I, I expect God to respond. I expect God to show up when I go to him in worship, when I go to him in prayer. There's this sense of anticipation. When Emily was home this week, one of her favorite places to eat in this world. Happens to be right here in Austin. It's down on South Congress at Hopdoddy. How many of y'all have ever had a Hopdoddy burger? We've got some work to do in discipleship in this church. A lot of y'all need to get on it. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing, amazing burger. It really is. But Emily had been talking about going to Hopdoddy for weeks before she got home. When she flew home from Charleston, South Carolina, she came home, and I think she was kind of happy to see Julie and me, but she was anticipating Hopdoddy. She, she was looking; she knew that that was going to be something special. She brought a couple of friends from school home with her. She, she could hardly wait to get up that morning when they were going to go down to South Congress and, and eat at Hopdoddy. That sense of anticipation. I wonder how many of us come to worship on the weekends. As excited to encounter the God of creation as we are to get a good cheeseburger. I'm just, I'm just asking. You know, I'm just, I just think if you're really anticipating God doing something, aren't you gonna, aren't you gonna like wake up and and approach being the church and gathering with the body? Differently than you do going to work or getting the kids out the door to go to school. It's, it's going to be something exciting. It, there's going to be a, an air that you, you work to create in your family or for yourself where it's like, I'm, I'm anticipating God doing something. I'm, I'm going to show up because I know God's going to show up. So it's a habit. There, there's an anticipation. And then give me a T. T, T is for tribe. T is for tribe. We we gather together primarily to worship. It's not just to tick something off of our to-do list or just to to hear a sermon. It's, It's to gather in worship with our tribe of faith. Psalm 149. The Bible says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their King. There's a a tribal element. There's that personal side that's habitual every day, but then there's also that tribal part that's equally habitual. That we gather together. I will lift up my voice in the sacred assembly, the Bible says. I'll, I'll let my worship fly to the rafters and beyond. I'm not going to worry so much about being cool. I'm not I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be authentic in my worship. But I'm not going to get hung up on being cool. Hey, Amen. So, I'm, I'm with my people here. This is, this is safe. And we're worshiping the one true God who made us and Jesus who died for us and rose again. You see, Jesus does something when when he is lifted up. He was was lifted up on the cross physically, but it was in that lifting up on the cross physically that he was most glorified and honored because of his obedience to the Father. When when he is lifted up, he draws people to himself. There's this, this thing that happens spiritually when we lift up Jesus, when we worship Jesus, And he he draws people to himself. There's this this spiritual dynamic at work. And I think the best way to describe it is is to use the words of Jesus himself. He he said, listen, when I draw people to me, here's what happens. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, 28 through 29. Jesus said, come to me. That's that drawing. Come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. You will find rest for your soul. But, but look at what Jesus said there. He said, Come to me. He, he said, Come. Don't 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 sit out there just watching, thinking about it, observing. He, he said, No, no, no. Come to me. Come, come. And I'll give you rest for your soul. The peace that passes understanding is available, but it requires a response. Some people in this room have responded to that invitation. Some people in this room have said, I I want that peace and I will confess my sin. I will claim your forgiveness and and I will lift you up. And And I will come to you, Jesus. I will come with my worship. As my eyes go, so goes my life. But there are probably people here who who haven't done that. People who have not responded to Jesus' invitation to to come to him. And so as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that in just a second. You don't have to to pass a test. You don't have to show up six months in a row. You, You just have to respond to his invitation and choose to follow him. Just, just to commit your life to him. I want to ask everybody for just a moment if you would bow your head. If you would just bow your head for a brief moment. With nobody moving around or stirring for any reason, creating a distraction from what God's doing in people's lives right now. If that's you, then I want to invite you to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of response, a prayer of beginning. A prayer for peace. Just pray right where you are. Just say, silently talk to him. Just say, Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And I need you. I confess my sin to you. And I claim you as my Savior. I step into this awareness with awe. I confess my sin and I claim your forgiveness and I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer. In your name. For just a moment more. I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed. But if that was your prayer. If you responded to the grace of God. Then you need to understand. Some of your biggest fans are in this room. Because this is the biggest moment of your life, and we honor that and celebrate that. We would love to come alongside and help in any way that we can. You can let us know about that through the Connect card that's in the program. But also in this moment, if that was your prayer, I want to ask you as our heads are bowed for just another moment... Would you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a brief moment? Hold your hands up to mark this moment in your life and in the life of this church. And know that we want to help in any way that we can. That we honor that and we celebrate it. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together just to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.